Our God is healer. Our God is awesome in power. Our God. Let us pray. Lord, as we are about to jump into your word and to hear a story that is 4,000 years old, may we truly hear you speaking into our life today as you spoke into the lives of those people so, so long ago. And may you take our hearts, which sometimes have hardened and have become cynical and skeptical and full of doubt. May you penetrate our hearts so that through the hearing of your word, we would become a people who are not hardened to the world, but who have the living water coming out of us. That we can actually be a source of life, you working through us in this world. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Please have a seat. Today we have a great uh, scripture that we're looking at. It's Exodus 17, 1 through 7. And this scripture is the story of the Israelites after they have already passed through the Reed Sea. They had an ocean of water that was split in half and the whole entire congregation of Israel walked through that. And they've already had these difficult moments of of dryness and bitterness in their travels and their journeys. And now we find them at a place called Rephidim. Can you say that? Rephidim. You're going to remember that that street name. So anyone, we'll we'll have a quiz next week. And so we have have them at Rephidim and they, they discover that there's no water at this campsite. Have you ever been, has anyone ever been camping and found no water before? It's the, it's the worst thing. And uh, you know that you're in a lot of trouble when there's no water. So let's jump into the text today. It's Exodus 17, 1 through 7. From the wilderness of Sin, the whole congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages as the Lord commanded. They camped at Rephidim, but there was no water for the people to drink. The people quarreled with Moses and said to him, Give us water to drink. But Moses said to them, why do you quarrel with me? And why do you test the Lord? But the people thirsted there for water. And they complained against Moses. And they said, why did you bring us out of Egypt? To kill us and our children and our livestock with thirst? So Moses cried out to the Lord, what shall I do with these people? They are almost ready to stone me. Then the Lord said to Moses, go on ahead of the people and take some of the elders of Israel with you. Take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile and go. I will be standing there in front of you on the rock at Horeb. Strike it and water will come out so that the people may drink. Moses did so in the sight of the elders of Israel. He called that place Massah and Meribeth because the Israelites quarreled and tested the Lord saying, Is the Lord among us or not? This is the word of the Lord, and I just would love us all to say thanks, God, on three, okay? One, two, three, thanks, God. There we go. That's our tradition. That's our new tradition. You like that? So, 
Is the Lord with us or not? Every person that's ever lived on the face of the earth has had to answer that question. They've at least asked that question. And the answer is one of faith. It's a matter of faith. But it makes all the difference. How have you answered that question? Is the Lord with us or not? The group of people referred to in this, in this passage as the congregation of the Israelites, they have seen so many miracles. Again, remember, they had a whole entire ocean split in two so that they could escape from the most powerful army on the face of the earth at the time. And then that army was decimated as the water came back over that army. This is the same group of people that went up and found this awful stench cesspool of water in a, in a previous campsite. And they cried out to God and God found a solution and, and, and threw in a piece of wood. And suddenly all of the water was better. This is a group of people who survived not one, not two, not three, but ten plagues and afflictions and diseases. While all the other people around them were afflicted, they were protected by God. This is the same group of people that were freed from their captivity and their oppression by God through miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And yet they are in a place of doubt. They seem to be in a place of wondering whether God is with us or not. And the promise that they have had and they have been given is that they will someday find home. That someday they will be at home. They will feel like they're at home. Four weeks ago as a congregation in this room and in the sanctuary, we committed to go on a journey toward home. As a group, together, and as individuals. That we would identify and articulate all the ways in which we don't feel that this church is home or our families are home or that our hearts or our heads or that our communities or our cities or our country is at home. And we define home as the place that God wants us to be. The, the place that God has designed us to live. The place of comfort. The place of joy and peace. And kindness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control. And all those things that we've been studying for so long. And we suddenly realize that we're not at that place. So we decided that we would set out on this journey. Now, from the passage that we're reading today, we can find three things that will help us in our journey as a community. The first thing that you'll notice is that the congregation of the Israelites journeyed by stages. And the key word after that is the word that says, as the Lord commanded them. The second thing is that God is king. We can tend to put other things in charge of our lives other than God. But God is king. God is ruler. God is all-powerful. God is in charge. Right? And the third thing is that we are going to be putting, in this journey, we are going to be asked to put everything on the line. Everything that we have. Everything that we are. We're going to be asked to risk it all. I see some athletes over here. I know that you guys are used to risking it all in sports. But this is even more costly and even more powerful of a risk in life. So the first thing that I'd like to point out is that the Israelites journeyed in stages as they were commanded to by the Lord. Now, 
Have you noticed that life is a series of stages of development and growth? See, companies, I see a lot of people who work in companies, companies grow by stages. Companies that don't grow by stages and don't do it well, fail. And companies that do grow by stages well, succeed. Churches, believe it or not, grow by stages. They go from one stage of growth to another stage of growth. So as a community on our journey, we're going to be, have to very perceptive about what stage God has us in as a church and, and how those challenges are going to help us to grow into the next stage of our growth. I'm not talking about numerical. That sometimes is a growth stage. That's a growth stage. But there are other growth stages, small groups, adult education. You can name the list. Talk to me afterward if you want to know the 50 growth stages of a congregation. But there's individuals that grow as in stages as well. And countries grow in stages. We can even see that in the Middle East with the countries that are in so much tumult and the ones that have, have kind of started out on a new journey. You can tell that they have, they're kind of going through the same stages that we went through as a country 200 years ago. Looks like the old West in some of those countries, doesn't it? We had that happen only 150 years ago. So if countries grow by stages and businesses grow by stages and companies and Churches, then also individuals grow by stages. Do you remember those kids when you were young that grew really tall, really fast, but they didn't grow smart very fast? But there were other kids that grew smart really fast, and then they grew tall later, a lot later, but they all ended up the same, you know, relatively the same height. And then some kids just grew really wise, really fast. Have you ever looked at a kid and thought, I think I'm looking at a very old man? inside of a young body. Have you ever met a kid like that? See, we have to be careful when we talk about the stages of growth spiritually as well to make sure that we're not comparing ourselves with other people around us and saying, well, that person is taller, that person is wiser, that person is smarter than I am. Why have I not grown to that level of maturity in my life? But I guarantee you that there's ways that God has grown grown you spiritually before the other person has grown spiritually. And the same thing can be true for a congregation. We can have the tendency to look at other congregations our size and say, why don't we look like that congregation? Why are they more mature in that area and we are more mature in this area? Why can't we be exactly the same? And congregations will grow in stages. Now, this is the key. It's as the Lord commanded See, this is part of God's plan for spiritual growth and development and for the journey of our lives. That the Israelites were moving forward in stages. And you can even, if you look at their experience, you can see the different ways in which God is growing them as a community through each stage of their development. So this scripture is probably going to speak to some people a little bit more than others. Because it's about a group of people who are going through a stage of thirst. A stage of thirst in their life, wondering if God is with us or not. Now, that's a great double entendre. Is God with us or is God for us or against us? There's a lot of questions going on in the minds of the Israelite people. And you may be wrestling with those questions as well. The second thing to look at from this verse today is that God is king. That God is the ruler, that God is Lord, that God is in charge. 
See, the Israelites came out of a system only two months earlier. I mean, we are so hard on the Israelites. We, we look at these people and say, how could you possibly do that? You know, I, I don't know where you were two months into your saying yes to Christ, into your spiritual journey of following Christ. But I was way worse off than these people were. But these people only two months earlier, three months earlier, were in a system of oppression that was far beyond the, anything that I've ever experienced in my life. And they had in that system of oppression someone who was called Pharaoh. Pharaoh was king. Not only was Pharaoh's king, but they were raised to believe that Pharaoh was God, essentially. That, God, that Pharaoh had control over everything. And what Moses was doing through the plagues and what God was doing through Moses, I should say. See, that's that tendency. That what God was doing through Moses in each one of the plagues as he was demonstrating... That Pharaoh was not God. And that the God of Moses, the great I am, was God. And it's strange, but it's true, that sometimes when we get into places of difficulty, we tend to want to resort to our old patterns of behavior, even if those old patterns of behavior didn't work in the past. And they were counterproductive. We tend to go back to our old rhythms, back to the things that we did before. Is anybody identifying with this? Anyone have ever gone back to your old patterns of behavior in your times of difficulty? I keep doing that time and time again. See, that's what they did. They wanted to take Moses and make Moses into Pharaoh. They wanted to say, Moses, you're in charge. You give us water. You're the reason that we're out here in the desert and we have no water to drink. It's all your fault, Moses. And Moses started, Moses could hardly believe it. He said, what? Why are you blaming me? Why are you complaining against me? And secondly, he made it, he made it even more clear. Why are you testing the Lord? See, in our life, we don't have a Pharaoh per se, but usually we have something that has replaced Pharaoh. Whether it is another leader, maybe it's a political hero for you. Maybe it's a government. Maybe it's a, it's a political party. Your pharaoh, your king, your solution to all of the problems of this world may be cash. I love the U2 song that says, sometimes cash is king. Sometimes psychology is king. That if you can get Freud's answer on it, you'll be good to go. Sometimes the king is exercise or self-improvement or intellect. Yeah, the list goes on and on, but so many times we like to take those things that are meant to be useful tools that are employed by God in our life to help to bring about good things. And we tend to take those tools and we make them into the king or the Lord. Think about that thing that, that you have a tendency to place above God or in place of God and then to rely on for strength in your journey more so than God. What I love about Moses is that Moses is this hero in the situation. He's the one that finally turns and, and he's the guy that was a murderer. He had committed crimes and he'd run away from his crimes in the past. Now we're seeing a different Moses than before. He's not running away. He's running to God. Isn't that a great image? Instead of running away from his problems, he's running to God. And he turns to God and he says, God, what shall I do? Now I know that a lot of people... Feel that they see some of these uh, prayer 
savants in our congregation, right? They just, they pray like a racehorse. You've heard, you just, it sounds like poetry. If you wrote it down, you could probably sell it. And they think, you know, I can't pray like that. So I might as well not pray. You know, one of the best prayers that I was ever told in my ministry was from another pastor. And I was taking his place as the associate pastor at my last church. And I said, what do you do before you get up there? And he said, I get up there to preach. And he said, I pray this prayer, Lord, give me what is needed. That's it. So I thought, I'll give it a shot. Man, that's a prayer that just goes deeper and deeper and deeper and deeper. This week, if you enter into a place where you feel that you're challenged with the impossible, that you're in a desert landscape and there's no water then I encourage you to pray this same prayer that Moses prayed thousands and thousands and thousands of years ago. And the people have been praying ever since. Lord, what shall I do? Now he inserts with these people, but you can put your own little piece in there. What shall I do with this relationship? Lord, what shall I do with this debt? Lord, what shall I do with this addiction? Lord, What shall I do with this challenge to be more missional? Pray that prayer. Lord, what shall I do? And immediately you'll be taking that problem and you'll be putting God as king over that problem. And you'll experience a world of difference. But there's one more thing that happened that I think is the most amazing moment of the entire scripture. I love it when God responds to Moses. God says, go on ahead of the people. Say that. Go on ahead. Oh, that sounds so easy to go on ahead, isn't it? Did you know that in this scripture, when they say that they're quarreling against Moses, actually, that's the word rib or rib. It actually has to do with a legal term. So what they're actually doing with this is they're laying a legal complaint against Moses. And boy, if you want to hurt someone who's had a past of past history of having murdered somebody and you really want to dig at him, you're going to say, what did you do? What did you bring us out here to kill us all? Are you the same old Moses that we knew from a long time ago? Is that what's really up? You just wanted to kill all of us. You wanted to also kill all of our children. And again, we are so hard on the Israelites, but I don't know how you would act if you saw your child literally dehydrating to death. How frustrated would you be with the leadership? And how frustrated would you be with God that that you had heard that God had brought you and your family to this place? You would say, that's ridiculous. That's no God. That's not a God who's with us. That's a God who's against us. I don't know if you'd say that, but I could see myself saying that really easily. So when they lay this legal complaint against Moses saying, you are maybe bringing us out here to kill us. And we're going to charge you with this this crime. That means that they're saying that if he's guilty of this crime, his punishment is going to be death. Stoning. So when Moses says they're about ready to stone me, he's not kidding. They're ready to pick up rocks in the most brutal, sick. I've already gone there and talked about stoning before, but it's an awful death to die. But that's 
the level of depravity that they've reached as a community. And that's the level of desperation that Moses is at. And that's how far he's come. And that's how much in the desert he is in his life. Yet he turns to God and he says, God, what shall I do with these people? And God says, go on ahead. But he gives them some even really more complicated instructions. He says, go on ahead with some of the elders of Israel. Now, wait, the elders of Israel are the people that would have sentenced Moses or they would have freed him from this sentence. So they're the people that that would have decided whether Moses was guilty or not. So God says, take some of the elders of Israel, the council that's going to make this decision, take them with you so that they can see that God, I am the God that is for you. I'm with you and I'm going to rescue you. This is the real deal. So Moses walks forward with these elders and, and he goes to Horeb, which is the same place for some of you Bible geeks. That's the same place where Moses encountered God for the first time at the burning bush. So this place has a lot of importance for Moses. It may not be the same exact location. It probably isn't. Because it appears there's a big rock in this location. So Moses goes out there following God's directions to the rock at Mount Horeb. And he raises up his staff as God directed to smack the rock with his staff. Just a normal staff. We're not talking any, you know, with his staff. And he smacks the rock. He's about to smack the rock with it. And this is the moment that I find is most amazing. Because as Moses is holding that staff over the rock, he must have thought, if this doesn't work, I'm going to die. As Moses held the staff over that rock, I'll bet he had his heart beating in his chest. And I'll bet you that the elders leaned in a little closer and thought too, if this doesn't work, we're all going to die. I find that's the most amazing moment in the whole scripture. Then Moses had courage to go to that moment of faith and to demonstrate God's goodness to the people that had the greatest influence in his life. Those elders were the people that that could make it or break it for Moses. Think about the people that have the most influence in your life. Your co-workers, maybe. Who are those people that you would feel most awkward about bringing to a place of faith. Bringing to a moment of faith and a demonstration of God's goodness. Who would be the most difficult person that you can imagine saying, hey, you know what, I want you to come and I want you to see what God has done and what God is about to do, which takes even more courage. That's where Moses is. Everything is on the line. And as we think about what we're doing as a community, we can do nothing unless we put everything on the line. Unless we're willing to follow God's instructions to go on ahead. Even in the midst of the complaining and the grumbling that may take place along the way. And the difficulties and the troubles and the trials that take place along our road. We are going to be challenged to to be like Moses. To raise our staff in the air and to trust that God will deliver when we smack that stick down on that rock. And it happened. It happened and all the people of Israel drank and they were refreshed and replenished and renewed and restored. See, that's trusting in Jesus Christ. It takes faith. Your answer will ultimately depend on faith. About whether the Lord is with you and with us or not. And over the course of this journey, we are going to have some serious 
moments of faith when we're going to say, let's do this together. We're going to go to a place that we've never been before as a people. And then we are going to have the opportunity to see God working and demonstrating God's love to and through us. Let's pray. I'd like to invite the band up here. Lord, may we, may we be emboldened to follow your voice in our lives. May we have the courage to build up the testimony in our life and to be built up by the testimony of others. May we remember the countless miracles that you've performed in our life as Moses undoubtedly did as he raised his staff over that rock. May we have that same assurance that comes from seeing you faithful time and time again. May we be able to look now back on the course of our lives and to see the many times that you fed us and nurtured us and cared for us and pulled us out of the darkness and into the light. All of the times of depression that you've pulled us out of, all of the times of addiction, all of the moments of despair, Lord, that we would be here in a moment of light and truth and goodness and beauty in a community uh, that would embrace us no matter who we are, no matter how far we've gone. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us in this moment and that you would grow us through this moment and that this moment would be one of many that we would share as a community in our journey of faith. Answering the question with every step that we have that yes, the Lord is with us. Yes, Jesus is with us. Yes, God is with us. Yes, God loves us. Yes, God will provide for us. Yes, 